0: Hello podcasters. Welcome back to Mr. Strouds history class. Last class we did Grant's name change, nickname and sword presentation. Victory at Fort Donelson. Today we're going to do the Battle of Shallow. Shallow, Tennessee, April 6th and 7th, 1862. Now, I would often tell you this that when there's 17 things that need to be said, And you can only see them one at a time. That's my problem. It's the problem a lot of us have. The Battle of Shiloh. When I was teaching the Civil War, as the Civil War for the entire semester, I did the Battle of Shiloh in pretty good detail, I like to say. But when I decided to do a survey and incorporate the Civil War, I did not do Shiloh. One reason because of time. It took about six weeks for me to do the Civil War as I did it, in the survey class. But then at the end, I decided to include it. And the reason is this. At one time, we had a Civil War Roundtable. And one day, for one of the meetings, the speaker had not shown up. Well, no fear. All six of us there were Civil War buffs, so we could certainly talk about Civil War. And one of the members simply said, let's go around the little group and each one say, what is the most important battle of that war and why." And so we did that. And this is a game you two can play, podcasters. When you're at a get-together, and there's that little quietness where no one knows what to say, spring to the rescue. What is the most important battle of the Civil War and why? I'm going to tell you mine, Antietam. If you can only name one. But in reading and thinking and thinking and reading, it's like which is the most important play of a football game? Was it the winning field goal with two seconds left on the clock? Or was it that key first down in the first quarter? It can be a combination but if you could only pick one and that was the way the game was I did Antietam which I will tell you later why a good friend of mine always said shallow, and the reason he said shallow is because here we go again the story was that Grant was drunk Grant was drunk, they wanted Lincoln to fire him get rid of him and Lincoln wouldn't do it had they gotten rid of Grant after Shiloh, South probably would have won. At least that's what you cannot prove. But in reading books, I've learned that, that that old drunk had already been brought forth at Donaldson. That's going to come forth again at Shiloh. But still Shiloh is important. Here's a couple of other reasons. There's another officer there and that is William Tecumseh Sherman. Note the middle name, Tecumseh, a great Shawnee warrior. His father thought Tecumseh was one of the greatest warriors that ever lived and wanted to name his son Tecumseh, William Tecumseh Sherman. Sherman had graduated from the military academy. I think he was sixth in his class. But he missed the Mexican War because he was assigned to duty in California. But was the one... In California, they said, we need to telegraph back to the President of the United States that this thing, this gold rock has been found. And then, of course, the 49ers come. After the Mexican War, which again, he was upset that he had no part of, he leaves the Army and he superintendent of a cable car company or railroad company. When I say that, I'm not going to go back and check they're biographies. I'll say that again. There are biographies on all of these people. They are available in bookstores, on Amazon, or heaven forbid, the library. You can find all this stuff. You can dot the I's and cross the T's. But with the Civil War, he comes back like Grant did. His brother is a senator, and so he's introduced to Sherman. I'm excuse me, to Lincoln. And he told Lincoln he did not want command of anything. He wanted to be second in command. That's where he wanted to be. No problem. They sent him to Kentucky, and he was second in command to a Union general, now by the name of Robert Anderson, hero of Fort Sumter. The Confederates are massing in Kentucky. Now, if you know about the Civil War, and you know about General George Britton McClellan, well, there were five rebels under every leaf and 25 rebels under every rock and a thousand behind every tree. He never had enough men. This is going to sound like that. William Sherman went through this. The Confederates were massing in Kentucky. And Sherman reported to Halleck that they needed 200,000 men. Two hundred, And Halleck said, where are we going to get them? The responsibility drove him, oh my gosh, don't use the C word, do not say, oh no, no, he wasn't crazy, no. Mentally drained, exhausted, he left, he went home, he recuperated. Newspaper said he was crazy, 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 mentally disturbed, mentally disturbed, Uh uh-uh, crazy as a Sherman never forgave them for that. And he made a statement once that if every newspaper reporter died and went to hell, we'd have news from there before morning. It wasn't crazy. He had a mental breakdown. He needed a rest. Anderson did that also. But guess what? Like Superman coming out of the phone booth, ripping that suit off, Sherman is back. Shallow is going to save that man. Now, senior officer, of course, is Grant. Now, the Union Army, which is now the Army of the Tennessee, has about 63,000 men. The commander of the Confederate Army of Mississippi, about 41,000 men, is Albert Sidney Johnston. The most prestigious general in the Confederate Army, the one that's going to win the war for him, Jeff Davis, right-hand man. He's commander of the Army of Mississippi. Second in command is another one of the Fort Sumter notables, and that's P.G.T. Beauregard. Another general there that all you Civil War people are going to recognize, Bragg, General Braxton Bragg is there. And Joseph Johnston decides he's got to attack. He cannot wait on the defensive. He's got to attack and get Grant defeated. He sounds a lot like Lee in doing this. When they're getting ready to attack, he's giving final orders to his generals. This is the night before they initiate the battle. And he does something, podcasters, you should not do. Do not predict victory until victory has been achieved. It's okay to do this in a high school pep rally. It's okay to do this when running for office. I'm going to win. I'm going to win. I don't care what the polls say. But in the military, I suggest keep your mouth shut. But he didn't. And he said to his men, Gentlemen, tomorrow we water our horses in the Tennessee River. In other words, we will whoop them. Now again, Go to the animated map. The Civil War Trust is a very good one. You can watch this. I'm not going to go through all of this. I'm just going to give you a couple of highlights, okay? The attack is going to be initiated about 6 a.m. Johnston's men are going to attack the Union right, The Union right. Now, this is what I want you to do. If you're not driving and you're safe, I want you to take your hands and put them out in front of you where you can see the palms, okay? And then I want you to touch the middle fingers together. Now when the Confederates attack, they're gonna attack the Union right. And so your right hand, I want you to slowly move it back toward you. That's the Union right giving way. The Union left held firm. Now the attack pushing the Union right back is going to stall for a couple of reasons. One, the Confederate Army always needed food and many of the Union soldiers have been cooking breakfast, and the Confederates, of course, stopped the attack and started eating, looking for souvenirs, jackets, and equipment that stopped that attack. That gives the Union Army time to get reinforcements from divisions that are not there, such as Lou Wallace, whose men got lost, got the reputation of the lost division. He will later write a book, ben Hur. But there's something else going on. There's a general in the Union Army by the name of Prentice. And his men are fighting like devils. And the Confederates cannot push them, they cannot drive them, and they cannot force them to surrender. One regiment of the Confederates after another go in there and they are shot to pieces. And one of the Arkansas privates coming out told some of the men that had not been in there, he said, Boys, it's a hornet's nest in there. And that is what that position is known as to this day, the hornet's nest. Now one mistake after another. Mistakes 2020 20 hindsight. That also, and I almost didn't do this, but I'm gonna do it anyway because I almost did it, I almost did it. I'm gonna tell you now. It's something I did not like when I read books on the military. I did not like it when a historian who was writing the books would take time to compare what just happened to 20 other battles. I'm gonna do, I don't like it, do, but I'm going to do it real quickly. At the military academy, I assume they do study these battles to try to learn from them. I assume that. I don't know how much you can learn. I mean, after all, in, in a military situation, everything seems to be fresh. How many third and longs do you have to learn from to know that if you got a third and long, you got to make a first down? But the same mistake was made by Washington's army at the Battle of Germantown at a place called the Chew Mansion. Military historians who know much more about this than I do said that what the Confederates should have done with the fighting at the Hornet's Nest was simply to isolate it and keep the attack going. Don't stop and try to wipe them out. That's what had happened at the Chew Mansion. After several hours of fighting, General Prentice, his men are exhausted the ammunition, and they surrender. Now, because of the sword interest I have, When Prentiss offered his sword to the victorious Confederate and surrendered, the Confederate would not accept it. That was recognition that, sir, you have fought so well, I'm not going to take that sword. But because you're going to be a prisoner, I can't let you keep it, so they kept it for him. And when he was exchanged, he gave it back to him. That was the first day's fighting. Sherman had been wounded in the hand. He had several horses shot from under him. He's convinced we've got to get out of here. So he's riding in the rain in that night trying to find Grant. Now Grant had not been present at the beginning of that battle. This is what led people, this critics, to say that he was a drunk. He wasn't drunk. horse had fallen on him, crushed one of his feet, He was on crutches. He was convalescing on a Navy ship. When he heard the battle erupt, he came up as fast as he could. And he's there. Sherman said he found him under a tree as the rain fell. And he was able to see his face with the lightning. He said, When I saw the face of that man, I knew darn well I better not suggest anything about a retreat because that man was not going to retreat. Because what Grant's face was, was the determination of a bulldog, the tenacity of a bulldog. The same tenacity, and I mentioned in the last podcast about Grant writing his memoirs. Sometimes I would tell you how many books have been written, 50,000 books on Lincoln. Who counted them? Who counted them? Well, I think I know who counted these, or at least estimated. it. I found out since the last podcast that when Grant was dying in more pain than I hope any one of us ever have to suffer through, he was desperately trying to finish his memoirs. And Twain said he would write 10,000 words a day. I'm going to say that again, 10,000 words a day. And Twain said it almost killed him to write 5,000. That's the tenacity that Sherman saw in that face. That's what Lincoln is finally, finally going to see. And he told Sherman, we'll whoop him in the morning. We'll whoop him in the morning. Next morning, he ordered a counterattack and the Confederates start retreating. One of Sam Houston's sons is there. Sam Houston, Jr. Now, Sam Houston, and all you Texans know, was against the Civil War. He was against the Confederacy. That's why he had to leave the governorship. He would not swear allegiance to the Confederacy. His son was wounded at Shiloh, and the Union surgeon saved him, and after he got well enough to travel, he went back to Texas, and that was the end of that war. There were newspaper reporters for the South, too. At one time, I would carry my boom box into the classroom, and I would play them, oh, what do these people call it, a mix, a mix. We have different songs, because I had a mix of Civil War songs that I had recorded for them. I was a Civil War disc jockey, songs that they had never heard. I played two of them back-to-back, one, then another. These are Confederate songs. One was the glorious victory at Shiloh. Because the newspaper report the first day they all thought the victory of battle was over. And then after the second day they saw that it was a defeat. And the second one was about the tragedy at Shiloh. There's a saying. I've heard it for years. After Shiloh, the South never smiled again. Now, why? Well, whoever said after Shiloh, the South never smiled again did not tell why. But I think I know. Grant Podcasters is on a roll. When you think about the Confederate Army in 1861 and 62 and 63 and 4 and 5, and you think of Robert E. Lee, and Lee is winning one battle over the other, you're not looking to the left on that map and seeing Tennessee, Kentucky. Grant is going to start marching, and he is not going to lose a battle. He's not going to lose a battle. It may be that Joseph Johnston was killed and the hopes of the Confederacy bled to death on the shallow battlefield. Another thing. When I was selling my first book, Inscribed Union Swords, 1865, we loaded many of them in the trunk of the car and the family got in and off we went to hit every library between Kilgore, Texas and Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. We also went to the battlefields to get the battlefields to carry some of the books, which they did. And one of them we went to was shallow. And my daughter, I love her. Oh, my gosh, do I love her and my son. My son's into history, but my daughter's not. But to this day, she knows about the bloody pond. There was a pond between the Union and Confederate lines where wounded and those who were not wounded would go to get water. And many of the wounded died in that pond, or they bled in that pond, and that water turned pink, and to this day is known as the Bloody Pond. There was a movie long ago, so now whenever you hear this podcast, it's going to be even longer ago. I believe the name was How the West Was Won, and there was a segment in there about the Battle of Shiloh and the Confederate soldier from Texas meeting the Union soldier at the Bloody Pond. After Shiloh, the South never smiled again and the nation had never seen anything as bloody as that day. The Union casualties, 13,047. As killed, wounded, missing. Confederate casualties casualties for the Confederacy, 10,700. You can add those together. They had never seen anything like that the bloodiest day two days of this American history at that time but podcasters they're just getting started in the bloodbath on September the 17th 1862 at Antietam even to this day the bloodiest single day in American history and then you move to Gettysburg three days And there has never been a battle as bloody as that on American soil, over 50,000 casualties. But after the Battle of Shiloh, Sherman is back. And once more, they go to Lincoln, they won't grant fired. Now, there are things that I was taught, things that I read about the Civil War, And then later on, somebody write, oh, nobody, he didn't say that. He didn't say that. He would have said that, but he didn't say that. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do, podcasters. You can hold it against me. I don't care. Hold it against me. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you that he said it. And if he didn't say it, he thought it. If he didn't say it, he didn't thought it, he would have. If he thought about it, he just said it. I'm going to tell you this because it sounds like Lincoln. It sounds like Lincoln. When Lincoln's critics came to him, excuse me, when Grant's critics came to Lincoln and wanted him fired because he was a drunk, a whiskey-drinking general, Lincoln said, see, I said, Lincoln said, okay, find out what brand of whiskey that man drinks. And I'll send it to my other generals. He fights. By God, that man fights. And if you study this Civil War, you know that there's not really any Union generals that are doing that. Another thing. We talked about Grant's nickname at Fort Donelson: "Unconditional Surrender, Grant." Now, here's something I just learned. Oh my gosh, you just learned it? Yes, 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 yes. Reading. Grant gets another nickname. And these are the ones giving him this nickname that are in the North that sympathize with the South. Or they just simply did not want this war to continue, they were against the war. But here's another nickname, Butcher. Butcher Grant, because of so many casualties. Grant was at fault. And even then, he knew what he believed. Now, how do I know he believed? Let me just tell you what I'm thinking, people. People, 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 podcasters, podcasting people. They study the Battle of Shiloh. When they look at the Shiloh, they say the one big mistake Grant made was not having his soldiers entrenched. They did not dig trenches. Had they been entrenched when that Confederate assault hit them, the casualties would have been a whole lot less, and they probably would not have given way on the right. Podcasters, let me ask you to do something. We get through with this podcast especially if it's hot or it's rainy, I don't care. Get a shovel. Go out in the backyard. Go out to your backyard. You start digging. I want you to dig a trench. Let's make that trench at least six feet deep. Five feet wide. How's that? Six feet deep, five feet wide. You want to do that? And then you just sit in that trench all night. Nothing happens. Okay. He should have had them in trench. He was criticized for not having his men in trench. At this point in that war, armies were not digging trenches. They were later. But not now. And Grant answered that criticism in his memoirs by simply saying those troops were green. They needed training. They did not need to dig trenches. Besides, we weren't going to stay there. Now, he can justify it any way he wants to. The reason I was speeding is because, yeah, should have, should have, should have, should have. Hindsight. Should have, should have, should have, should have. He didn't. That's not as important as being the butcher, being the drunk. Here's the other thing. I mentioned it once before and I want to mention it again. Sherman is back. This saved Sherman. I don't think they ever called him crazy again. I read a book once, The Friendship That Won the Civil War, and that friendship was Grant and Sherman. And I'm going to be honest with you, podcasters, because normally, as you know, I like to be dishonest. It's called The Dishonest History Class. I read that book. I could not see where this friendship came from. I could not see a friendship. An acquaintance, yeah, they were both in the Union Army. They were both generals, but friendship. But I'm going to answer that question now. I want you to do this because I know you like to do it, okay? I want you to get out a piece of paper or get on the computer, and the first thing I want you to do is I want you to type up there or write up there your favorite color. Favorite color. Let's just go with blue. You want to? Blue. You want baby blue, dark blue, union blue, navy blue? Blue. Now I want you to write down three reasons why that's your favorite color. Now once you do that, I want you to write down the name of your best friend. Not a relative, just your best friend. Write down three reasons why that's your best friend. And you show those reasons to someone. Do you think they're going to say, oh boy, now I know. No. That's just me, podcasters. What words do you put down to tell why that person is your best friend or why that color is your favorite color? I had a good friend that talked with me at Gilgore College. He taught we out for 20, 25 years. English teacher, but I'm not going to tell you who it was. We were friends. We decided to retire. I saw him one day, and I said, I'm not going to say his name. I got to thinking about you not being here now. And I got to my computer, and I just put... The reasons I really like you, see I'm not giving his name, he said, how many did you come up with? I said, not a one. There was not a reason I could put on that computer, that piece of paper, I could tell anyone, was why I liked this individual. And everyone that knew who I'm talking about said, yeah, I understand, but you did. You did. Your best friend is your best friend. You can't really explain it, why you like the color blue, baby blue, light blue. Which of the 49 shades of green is your favorite? Is that an easier one than blue? Sherman's back. Now, they asked Sherman one time about the friendship between Grant and him. And Sherman said it this way. And so when wondering about the friendship, this is the simplest way to say it, is to quote Sherman. He, meaning Grant, stood by me when I was crazy, and I stood by him when he was drunk. When you got a friend that will stand by you when no one else will, that's a friend you better hang on to, people people, podcasters, podcasting people. And that friend will stay with you when you are down and out. You hang on to him. And that may be the friendship origin. But that is the friendship that's going to win the Civil War. Now that's the Battle of shallow. And as soon as I let you go, I'm going to be thinking of three things I should have said. And after thinking of three things I should have said, I will think of five more that I should have said. That's eight. See, after the after the last podcast, I should have told you a couple of things. I'm going to do it now. I'm going to save it, but I want to make sure I do it. I'm going to repeat it about Grant. Somehow getting that slave. When he's working on that farm and they work, Side by side. And that's when he learned that these African American slaves were intelligent. And that was extremely important. But what I did not tell you, I did not think to tell you until after the podcast was over, is Grant was as broke as you could be. He didn't have two half dimes to. See, I didn't say nickels, did I? Half dimes. He could have sold that slave for $1,500. $1,500 in 1860, let's say, when the average blue-collar worker was making $300 a year. You know what he did, podcasters? He freed him. He freed him. He gave him his freedom. He didn't sell him. He gave him his freedom. Grant and Sherman, the friendship that's going to win the war. I will will talk to you again soon in the next history class on the podcast. Have a great day.